for the week of January 12th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today we are discussing the season one finale of The Mandalorian. And with me as always is John. John, how you doing? Oh, I am uh, doing very well. After watching this episode, um, the title of the episode, Redemption, seems fitting because in many ways it has restored my faith <laughs> in, in the Star Wars franchise and its ability to deliver a really satisfying conclusion. And uh, I am... Super excited to break it all down because I, I think that this was tops for the season and that's a great thing to be able to say about the finale. Yes, it was indeed a fitting finale. A lot of stuff to discuss today. I'm super excited. So shall we just dive in? Let's do it. The Mandalorian Chapter 8 Redemption. This episode was directed by Taika Waititi and in it Mando, Kara and Grief are surrounded by troops and are given until nightfall to surrender or be killed. Meanwhile, IG-11 terminates the two scout troopers who snatched the child and killed Quill. IG-11 fixed his programming purpose to nurse and protect, takes the child to the trap trio who decide to escape through the sewers to seek help from the hidden tribe of Mandalorians. Upon arriving to the hideout, they discovered that many Mandalorians perished following exposing their presence on Navarro. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this show, it picks up just seconds after we saw chapter seven end. The trio, they're still trapped. We have uh, Moff Gideon giving them a nice little... Uh, intimidation factor here basically saying you have until nightfall we have this big gun you all have seen it but before we get into those type of details the stress ended i mean not really ended but we got little yodel back in the hands of the good guys pretty quick in this episode right so that was nice we didn't have to stress too much about that uh so let's go ahead and talk about these scout troopers because there's a little more to them than meets the eye here so first they start by making audience hate them by abusing <laughs> the child in the bag as soon as that happened i realized okay these two guys they need to die <laughs> and i think that was exactly the narrative purpose right like mm. we're mere seconds away from watching these guys get curb stomped you know um so we really really need to load them and so yeah they they laid it on thick they're they're beating up little yodel uh they're just jerks to each other there's nothing about these guys that you feel <laughs> needs to exist uh in our universe or the star wars universe so we are more than happy to see them dispatched with mechanical efficiency when ig11 shows up what a satisfying cold open i had a lot of fun with this not the least of which because jason sudeikis snl alum was uh one of the scout troopers yeah so i, I thought this was really fun because when mm -hmm. i'm watching it the voice stood out to me right away i didn't catch who it was at first but i'm like okay i know that voice this is very familiar and then as he kept talking i'm like oh that sounds exactly like Sudeikis. So I looked it up, and yep. sure enough, it was Sudeikis. And then Adam Polly, who's been in uh, mostly producing writing roles, but has uh, made his appearance in some comedies as well. But this is kind of the theme that season one has given us, where we keep getting these comedians, some SNL alum, and in, involved here. 
uh, it, it was really interesting to laugh at this kind of banter back and forth between the two scout troopers, but also just eagerly waiting their demise here because Sadakis sure. is the one that keeps punching him in the yes. bag. So, yeah. But as soon as that happened, I, I, I think I gasped whenever he yeah. first punched the baby. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is how this is going to go down. You're, you're just going to have to die. I don't care who's underneath mm. that mask. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, another thing that I thought was really funny was Favreau is just bringing these Stormtrooper bad aim references left and right here. <laughs> I died laughing seeing this because, of course, if you are involved in Star Wars and you have followed it for as long as, you know, as we have, you know that there's a running joke about the Stormtrooper's aim. And this really shows it to the point where Sudeikis, you know, shakes the, the gun next to his ear because he's yeah. thinking okay well we're really bad at this <laughs> yeah he's he's wondering if there's something off with the blaster it couldn't be his aim that's the problem mm-hmm. it must be the blaster um this was perfect comedy uh it it served a purpose narrative wise because when ig11 shows up you're ready for them to get their come up and so it's really satisfying but it's just genuinely funny to kind of get stormtroopers sort of in their um you know, they're off time, you know, when they're not standing at attention, when they're just kind of casually talking about which speeder models are coming to market or whatever. Uh, yeah, just to get, uh, two backwater jerks that have like the, the worst, uh, assignment in the galaxy, uh, who just, yeah, have nothing redeeming about them to kind of watch them screw with each other and then eventually come face to face with the Terminator. Uh, that scene, I I think there's a, an obvious homage in there too, to the opening of pretty much every Terminator movie where uh, people don't really understand the threat <laughs> that's walking towards them. Um, but then yes, with total efficiency, they're, they're dispatched and uh, yeah. Oh, just what a, a glorious way to reclaim baby Yodel. So yeah, I was, I was cheering <laughs> at, uh, when IG 11 uh, <laughs> throws him into the speeder and like the speeder crumples under the sheer might of, you know, his mechanical force. So yeah. Oh, there's a lot of stormtroopers uh, getting seriously mangled in this episode, and uh, uh, it, it felt really good, actually. So, uh, I don't know what that says about me, but I really, really enjoyed this. I, I did as well, and I enjoyed the next scene where they get even uh, more mangled, if you will, by someone else. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had IG-11 just show off that not only is he deadly with his blasters, but he has some uh, some force behind those mechanics and breaks some arms, uh, curb stomps a guy onto a speeder. <laughs> I mean, just, just a lot of kind of brutal approach to this. Uh, he does give them a chance to walk away mm-hmm. and, you know, leave the baby and yep. <laughs> hand over the baby and there's no problem. But they chose not to, and rightfully so, because we get kind of this running thing with uh, Gideon that he's just offing people left and right who right. question him or who want to want to challenge him, and so this causes Sedakis or the stormtrooper Sedakis to basically, you know, no, we're gonna wait, we're not gonna get pushy with Gideon because, like, I don't know if you heard me, but he's shooting people that are questioning him, so we're just gonna sit back and just hand it over. We're basically not going to lose him. So I'm not going to give up any opportunity right. for this kid to get out of the bag because I don't want Gideon to off us. Yeah, I'm not getting out of my lane. I'm keeping my head down. Uh, I know my place and uh, my job is just to sort of phone it in and steer clear of all of these, you know, megalomaniacs that show up occasionally and, and raise the town. Um, yeah, and, and it's that's good exposition, right? Because it, it positions us and tells us where we're at relative to what's happening with our heroes who are pinned down when we last saw them. So we understand that, yeah, there's really been hardly any time that's passed. So 
we still need to feel tense about what's actually happening in the town, just, you know, a mile over the ridge or whatever. So, uh, yeah, great cold open, just really, really great. And then we get back to our heroes that are trapped and Gideon giving some nice little dialogue here. So basically we find out a little more about Moff Gideon. Uh, he knows our heroes background, all three of them. He's studied at least one of them a little more than others, but he knows all of them. Right. Uh, he reveals our Mandalorian's name, Din Djarin. Mm-hmm. And this is what gives the Mandalorian the, the, the light bulb moment that this is Moff Gideon because he under, understands that Moff Gideon was an ISB officer during the purge, which man, I want a series now that focuses on Moff Gideon. And during this time period where he was an ISB officer during the purge, because that would be exciting, or at least to see uh, that, that time hmm. period. You very well may get that in some capacity in yeah. a month or so. We don't really know exactly what's going to be covered in Clone Wars season seven, but there has been some chatter that maybe it's going to touch on this storyline, which would be a very cool way to tie everything back together. So, uh, yeah, well, who knows? I can't make any promises, but it'd be cool if, if that's where that season was going. Yeah. I, I think that we might see that it would be really cool to see a animated version of Moff Gideon. Who knows? Sure. Uh, but let's talk about our hero. So did you like the reveal of his name, how they did it? Uh, I know some people were a little upset that we even got a name and face reveal from no. the Mandalorian, but I feel like they're just being a little too nitpicky. Yeah. I mean, I think this was much needed. We knew it was coming from the moment of the first episode when we see some flashbacks, obviously right. we were going to get the, the background story of him. So yeah. How, how'd you feel about this? Uh, it didn't occur to me that I should feel one way or another, like this is the finale of season one. So all the questions that they set up, we're looking for answers at this point. And a big part of it was, are we going to see the Mandalorian's face? Are we going to understand where he comes from? Are we going to get any kind of conclusion to these flashbacks and understand how that played out and how he fell in league with the Mandalorians? And we got all of it. So, you know, <laughs> why we wouldn't want his name as well. Uh, yeah, that, that didn't pose any, any problem for me. I thought that they unfolded all of that really, really well. I, I like that they'd been showing us snippets of the flashback throughout the season. And the last time we checked in on it, they cut right before the doors open and we find out who his savior was. And so you right. speculate, was it a Jedi? Was it, you know, who was going to come to little Mando's aid? But it makes perfect sense that it would be a Mandalorian, uh, even more so death watch, mm-hmm. right? Like it makes sense that, uh, the, uh, code of honor that he adheres to, uh, it, it just seems like, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense that these were, what would you call it? Uh, they were considered extremists back in the day, mm-hmm. but they were still honorable. Like they, they right. still wanted to, uh, restore Mandalore's glory kind of above all else. So you've gotten hints of that when, whenever, you know, Mando's talking or anyone else in his, is, uh, uh, the, the hideout are, are talking, you're getting a sense of all this Mandalorian history. So it does make sense that he would fall in league with them. And then that's kind of where he would be brought in and, uh, trained. And it, it made so much sense. I don't know why I didn't see it coming a mile away, but I was happy to see it. it. It also was a nice little set piece. It wasn't just a flashback. They actually, you know, pull back and you see the Mandalorian swooping in and you see them devastating the, the super battle droids. Uh, so 
this was exactly what it needed to be to give me everything I needed to understand the Mandalorian and why he's been searching for his name and his clan and trying to prove that he's kind of in the same league as these guys that uh, took him in when he was young. So I don't know. This, this all worked for me. I was super happy. I, I was as well. Uh, the one thing that stuck out to me about his name was, of course, Din Djarin, and his last name is spelt with a DJ in the front. And so I just okay. thought that was, uh, you know, a classic. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional, but I first thought, oh, Django. You know, the last name you got Django, the D is silent sort of thing. I don't know but if Django, I was looking- Django didn't have a D in front of it. The, you're thinking of Django Unchained. That Django well, yeah, had the D and even the old Western had the D in front of it. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about Django Fett. No, no, no. Django <laughs> is in the old Western and Django Unchained. But yes. Okay. So, so that was another kind of uh, Western throw sure, there. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I liked it. I, I was always we we kind of talked about it, but we didn't touch too much that he wasn't an actual Mandalorian. He wasn't born on Mandalore. And so that was something right. that we didn't, I don't think explicitly mentioned, but we talked about how there, for some reason, he is not accepted by everyone in his tribe, that he is a foundling himself. We knew that coming into it, but yeah, it's uh, not a Mandalorian, which is an interesting take because I think the only explicit answer we've had or explicit dialogue we've had about a non Mandalorian wearing Mandalorian armor was basically from this because we have, of course, Jango Fett, not a Mandalorian, but somehow had Mandalorian armor. So does this provide a background to Jango Fett as well, that he maybe was a foundling himself and that's why he has Mandalorian armor. I mean, I don't know. I I'm thinking way outside the box here, but it just, I, I don't, I don't believe he was, or at least, you know, obviously they're expanding the lore. So a lot of this, we got to get up to speed on because it hasn't been spelt out in great detail, but there's a few things we do know that was established a long time ago about Mandalorians. And one thing was they don't all hail from just Mandalore, right? It was an empire. It was a whole region of the galaxy was colonized by, you know, people that adhered to the Mandalorian way of life, you know, that were considered themselves part of that caste, that tribe or whatever. So we have kind of known that it had less to do with biology and more to do with adherence to mm-hmm. that culture. Um, and you know, they, even in new Canon, we've, we've had that pretty clearly established. So I, I, I was never too hung up on whether he was, you know, biologically a Mandalorian because I never really saw it in those terms, but what they do spell out is that he doesn't have uh, a tribe, a clan. He doesn't have a people. He doesn't have a family, a, a house. So, since the Mandalorians are all kind of honor bound and it is kind of about your heritage and you know, where you come from and the name that, that you and your family have made for themselves. Uh, he's still kind of, uh, a lone wolf in that respect, but I, I just, I wasn't hung up too much on, on any of the other stuff. Cause it never occurred to me that you had to be from Mandalore to be a Mandalorian. What I didn't quite understand was the nature of a foundling. I thought foundlings were children of Mandalorians that were scattered after the empire purged you know their their culture and they were dispersed i thought that it was as the the mandalorian fighters were going around and trying to recover them and bring people back into the fold that were previously mandalorians that's what i thought it was not this notion of because they're honor bound if they ever come across a child (laughs) uh they have to do right by it that's just part of the honor code and that's the nature of a foundling that was a new thing and so it's interesting that not only was he a foundling 
but now, you know, he's also in charge of one. So I, I think they've clarified just enough for us to be able to understand how it all fits together without, you know, knowing too much about the specifics. Yeah. And I thought that that was just a, a really cool way of introducing or getting more background to our character. So we mm-hmm. knew that there was some tragedy back there. We knew at some point he got into a clan, got involved with the clan of Mandalorians. However, you know, we speculated this is the way we got. I thought that it was really neat to see Death Watch in live action. That, <laughs> yes. was, just, that was super cool seeing them fly down, fighting those droids. And then also uh, getting some more background with them. So you have the classic Mandalorian staring into the eyes of a child. And then, you know, other Mandalorians are covering him while he gets out of there. It's, right. it's exactly. And so then that, that gives weight to, I think it's chapter three where Mandalorian does the same thing with, with a child where he's mm. laying, basically has that moment where they're looking into each other's eyes and then Mandalorians cover them as they get out. So I just thought that the full circle of this episode right. was really nice. Yeah. So this is the other great thing about this episode is that it recontextualizes the Mando's motivation for going back for baby Yodel, because up to that point, he's trying to prove that he's no nonsense, tough as nails, just, you know, badass bounty hunter, mm-hmm. uh, emotionless, stoic, you know, we're, we're getting all that from him up to the point where he has this crisis of conscience and you don't really understand why a child would evoke such a strong reaction that he would basically throw away all of the credibility he's built up with the guild and go into a situation where he could die to rescue this kid. And he knows coming out of it, he's going to be a hunted man. Like he could do the math. He understood that there's no situation where he's just going to walk away from this clean. <laughs> he knew that this was going to be a, a big thing he was undertaking in, in rescuing Yodel. So why was he willing to do it? Especially if he's shown that he's trying to be this, this lone wolf badass. And now we know right. he's honor bound. A Mandalorian picked him up at his lowest moment as a child and pulled him from certain doom and did right by him and raised him, uh, based on the Mandalorian creed. Right. How could he call himself a Mandalorian if he didn't go back for Yodel? Now there was no choice to be made. You understand why he's no nonsense. Why as soon as it occurs to him that there's no choice, he just invests a hundred percent in it. Now we get it. And it just, it makes the whole series that much richer. Yeah, it really does. Um, I also chuckled a little bit too much over the Creed reference because, of course, you have Carl Weathers sitting in there who played Apollo Creed. And I, you know, I just overthought (laughs) way too much in this episode, but I just thought that was a nice little thing for me. Yeah, you're getting all hung up on silent D's and uh, yeah, Rocky references. Um, Yeah, I I got nothing to add to that. That's that's totally your territory there. And this episode, of course, comes along with the other theme of this show, cute yodel moments. So we have IG-11 on the speeder with yodel, and he's just, he's eating it up. Loving this little speeder ride, even though there's stormtroopers shooting at him. Just looking up every other, it seems like every other cut is of Yodel, you know, looking around on the speeder and just, just eating it all up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I liked the the take they did with IG-11 here. So we have, and this is just the beauty of this episode and everything that this first season was building up to with Mandalorian's relationship with droids. But this whole turn where IG-11, now I get it. So IG-11 was also bound to protect, or I don't know if he was bound, but chose to rescue the trio locked up in the bar rather than taking the speeder back to the Razor Crest. Hmm. 
I, I, I think he did the math and realized that his only opportunity to genuinely protect the child was to rescue them. Right. Like, first off, we don't know if he could actually take the razor crest. I don't know if he has the keys or if the razor crest even has keys, but you get the sense that he understands that while this child is hunted, there's mm-hmm. the remnants of the empire are, are pursuing it. Right. You know, they cut down quill, so they know it's out here. They're going to be looking for it. Do I stand alone mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere and wait for them to come find me? Or do I take the fight to them and catch them off guard, devastate them and build some support? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even, uh, an emotionless robot doing that math would come to that conclusion that, yeah, no, I got to turn the tables. I got, I got to reevaluate the situation and be proactive. And ultimately that serves the purpose of, of taking care of the baby though, putting him on the front of your speeder and <laughs> driving into blaster fire, um, made for a good scene. I don't know if that's exactly where I would have positioned baby Yodel, but that shot of Yodel eyes wide open, you get this little overdub of like a baby laughing, mm-hmm. you know, as they're zooming in on, on baby Yodel, uh, yeah. Wind blowing through his, his little white hair. Oh my goodness. The absolute most adorable, charming moment of the series so far. I, I was just, I was giddy watching, you know, baby Yodel ride into battle with IG 11. And then he's reunited with the trio and this shootout that occurs when IG 11 arrives is something Mm -hmm. else. This is just amazing. It tops anything we've had so far. Uh, Chapter one, we had a great shootout with the Mandalorian IG 11 and the people at the encampment. And, but this one, this Oh, even out does that. I mean, we have all these stormtroopers against the the four individuals that are fighting against him, fighting to get out. And man, was this just? It was well shot. Uh, it was. <laughs> it was just amazing. It, it was amazing shootout. Everything you could ever want from a finale shootout. Just awesome. And the Mando gets injured through all this. We have Moff Gideon, who of course is driven by his lust for power lust for whatever it is that he's pursuing from baby yodel but he takes a shot at the back of mandalorian's head and then explodes a nice little you know a nice little power thing whatever it was the, the th- i think it was the thing that powered the actual turret and you know it enters the mando so this is one thing that i was wondering about because when kara gets him back into the cantina and she puts her hand behind his head, which is kind of where he was shot. There's a lot of blood there. So mm-hmm. was he was that did that injury come from the shot or from the explosion? Because I kind of read into this a little too much as well. Yeah, I, I think he got some kind of head wound from the shot. She mm-hmm. says that you just got your bell rang. Right. <laughs> the idea that, yeah, you took a, a knock to the head. Do they go into detail explaining, well, why does Moff Gideon's blaster penetrate his Beskar helmet? We don't know, but it could just be that it was a powerful blaster. So it dented it enough that it still, you know, knocked his brain around a little bit or, you know, whatever. Just, yeah, he he took a shot and it just knocked his head enough that he has a concussion or whatever. We don't really know. But following that, yeah, he, he takes another blast from that power unit that gets exploded right next to him. So we don't need to dwell too much on it. He takes a beating. And at this point, he thinks he's finally done in. Like right. he, he doesn't think he can walk. He thinks he's going to slow them up and he's ready to mm. get a warrior's death and just hope that they can get away with baby Yodel. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, these are the things that we can't dwell too much on because right. they, they don't have time to spell it out. And even if they did, it wouldn't really make any sense. You know, blasters right. don't kill Mando when they're not supposed to kill Mando and they do when they do. So yeah, you just, you accept that. Okay. He, he took a shot somewhere along the line. 
Well, this is how I accepted it. I accepted it from Moff Gideon understands the weaknesses in Mandalorian mm, armor. So sure. I kind of read it as he knew where to shoot him because he, of course, okay. has some understanding of Mandalorian. So I kind of read it that gave a little layer to our villain. But once again, nothing really explained. Uh, the thing that really was just a, a nice a nice scene to look at was uh, the child stopping the fire. Sure, that was yeah. just it, just classic Star Wars scene. It felt like, but it was another slow motion scene that that we discussed from Rise of Skywalker, where it's kind of mm-hmm. a slow motion type of process. But this one, it felt cinematic. It felt way bigger than a small screen show, and it looked great. I'm telling you, like this, you can see the budget play out in this episode, especially between this, the the Tie Fighters, the shooting, just everything about it was just a really cool thing you see yodel do his magic hand thing and explode the uh the other stormtrooper so a lot of fun here ig11 they get into the sewer with his help and they get into the hideout of the mandalorians and they are gone and it looks like a lot of them have died right a few may have made it off world but as far as we can tell the majority of them got snuffed out when the empire kind of doubled down and just started occupying the town and cleaning house yeah and before we do that i skipped over something really important so we have a defining moment for the mando where he is he's bound by (laughs) his uh by his code that no living thing will see my face but he accepts it because ig11 assures him well i'm not living so this technically doesn't count and takes off his mask we see of course the mandalorian's face pedro pascal uh and the nice little remark from IG-11 where he says, you have damage to your central processing <laughs> unit. And he goes, you mean my brain? And just, that was a joke. It was supposed to make you at ease. So we have that that whole scene, which is a moment for the Mandalorian because, of course, he doesn't trust droids. And now he's trusting one to the point where he's willing to allow it to save him. And right. it does. We get a, We get a nice little Mandalorian lives to fight another day with the help of IG-11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. IG 11 is really the hero of this episode in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, just for being noble and, you know, staying the course. This is obviously the payoff of episode four, where Mando is struggling with the idea of maybe, you know, taking off his helmet and mm-hmm. settling down and having a quiet life. And ultimately he's still honor bound and he can't do it. And, uh, you know, fate gets in the way when a bounty hunter comes and finds baby Yodel. Uh, so we didn't get to see who Mando is. We didn't get to see him as a human, you know, see him vulnerable. We really didn't get that last piece of the puzzle. Like just, we want to know this person at a more intimate level. Mm-hmm. We get this, we get this while he's at his lowest point. He thinks he's done for, uh, fortunately he doesn't have to break the creed in order to let IG 11 nurse him back to health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, it's, it's a, a sweet scene. It's nice that it kind of restores his faith in IG-11. Like at that point forward, he's telling IG-11, no, you can't sacrifice yourself. It's not, you know, that's, that's not how we roll here. Uh, all for one, one for all. And, uh, yeah, you'd never seen him give any consideration to a droid up to this point. So yeah, it it was a a moment of growth and a moment of vulnerability and they played it out very nicely with a little bit of humor mixed in there that just, again, landed really, really well, nicely handled. Yeah, just a really great moment for all this. And then they, of course, get to the the hideout of the Mandalorians where you have the armorer who 
is getting everything situated. She's making sure that nothing is left behind and that the armor has its proper burial, if you will, that everything has its proper end for the Mandalorians on Navarro. And we see her little, uh, her skill set. So first she explains to Mando what this child really is and Mm -hmm. goes into the background of the ancient war between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. And yeah, kind of gives a background, but then also bound by honor and code. And this is a foundling. Your duty is to either raise it forever or get it back to its people. So the first mission, get it back to its people. If you can't ever find them, then, you know, this is your clan. So she gives the Mandalorian his signet, which is fitting, of course, a mud horn. <laughs> a mud horn yep. And yeah, just a lot of a lot of fun stuff here. And the armorer is really an interesting character. I hope we get to see more of her for in season two, which I'm sure we will, because we've seen that she can hold her own against a group of stormtroopers. And this is where we get another brutally beating of some stormtroopers mm. here. So she is just smashing them around with her blacksmith gear. I mean, this was an amazing little fight scene here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you see her kneeling, uh, just quiet, resigned to the situation. And you think that she's just basically there mm-hmm. to serve as a distraction to give them time to get away. And that she's basically sacrificing herself. And uh, no, no, no. She knows how to handle herself. And when she decides that <laughs> it's time to make her move, those stormtroopers did not stand a chance. Again, we get curb stomping galore. She hatchets a stormtrooper's face and the, uh, the armor just shatters like clay. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's brutal. And uh, again, uh, this show's done a good job of making us really loathe the villains. So yeah, when she gets her moment to show why she's the head of this covert, you know, why she is the formidable Mandalorian that has survived whatever went down on Navarro over the last few months. Uh, yeah, she, she shows it in no uncertain terms that she is a very, very formidable opponent. Um, yeah. And they leave it ambiguous at the end. She's just standing there around a bunch of dead stormtroopers. So where she goes from here, we don't know, but I can't see why she wouldn't be back. She's, she's a great way of building the universe, like giving us exposition, giving us backstory, giving us what we need to, uh, keep the narrative moving forward. Like basically she gives the Mando his quest, his official quest. You know, you guys are a a clan of two. Here's your options. I'm leveling you up. Here's your jet pack, (laughs) you know? So she seems so useful as a, as a narrative device that I can't see why they wouldn't want to revisit her. And she's just fun too. Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. Yeah. A, a really great scene. Really fun. She has to come back. I mean, I think that's an obvious decision that they've already mm-hmm. made. I don't think they're going to be, I don't think they have to listen to fans and like bring back the armor. I think that's, that's happening. Uh, sure. You don't leave it like that. If you're not planning on bringing her back. And of course she is a great narrator to the audience. Mm. She, she's been narrating a number of things for us this whole season that she's every episode she's been in it. She's narrated something. Yes. And let's not forget, we haven't seen her face either. Mm-mm. Could she be a Mandalorian of note? Speculation has started. Uh, so we don't know who she may prove to be as, as the story continues to unfold, but she may serve an even bigger purpose rather than just be, you know, uh, sort of your, your sage along the road, you know, pointing you in the right direction. So, um, yeah, I'll be excited to see what they do with their next season. 
As will I. And then the next thing we have IG-11 sacrificing himself because he can't be captured. Just a really nice moment here because the Mandalorian, of course, is sad to see his new friend uh, go away and sacrifice himself for him, even though he's a droid. And it was just a nice moment. It reiterates everything that we've been discussing about Mandalorian's growth towards droids. Is a nice payoff for this whole season as far as Mandalorian's response to all things droid. And... Then they get out, they think they are saved, and here is Moff Gideon. The heavy Mm -hmm. returns in a TIE fighter. Creed wants him to do his magic hand thing, and this is another just Star Wars comedic moment. Uh, Baby Yodel just kind of waves back to him. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm I'm out of ideas. Yeah, Yeah, just just a nice... A, a nice moment here and so we have the mandalorian he puts on his jetpack that he received we knew this was coming as well because of course in chapter three or four he basically says hey i need to get me one of those he gets mm-hmm. one and it's a nice little payoff even though he's not the most skilled at it he uses his other skills to his help and we have moff gideon who crashes in the deserts of navarro and of course mandalorian takes his new foundling and they jetpack away same a- I just like this full circle here because it's a full circle shot of the of Yodel with the Mandalorian which was the Mandalorian or with Din with his Mandalorian rescuer just right. a lot of fun stuff here Kara of course is staying back on Navarro whether she's going to be a bounty hunter or just someone that that fights off any stormtroopers imperial influence that comes around we don't know we'll see in season 2 because of course She's coming back. Grief's coming back. All of these individuals are coming back. But the biggest reveal here. Yes. And I've been waiting for this all season because it had to have happened. I mean, you have a show called The Mandalorian. If you've been following TV projects of Star Wars, you know, with most Mandalorian appearances, there's an appearance of something else. And this is the dark saber that once belonged to a Mandalorian Jedi that was then sto- the lightsaber was then stolen from the Jedi and given back to the different tribes of Mandalore. But we mm-hmm. have that Moff Gideon has it. So what does this kind of reveal about Moff Gideon? Does it change how we view his his motive? Is do we think the motive is the same as from episode two? Do we think that it's really to collect Yoda juice for a Palpatine or is it for, for something else? I'm curious to see what your opinion is here. Yeah. So they've told us just enough to get us intrigued, but they haven't given us any definitive answers. So mm-hmm. we can only speculate, but he does say a few curious things. First off, you know, we last episode, we got the whole, you know, I want this more than you could ever mm-hmm. know. Like make no mistake. I am driven. And the only situation where I don't end up with baby Yodel is if you kill me kind of thing. Like right. this is, this is the only thing that matters to him. We get that. But then in this episode we learn, okay, he knows pretty much everything about these characters in particular Mando. He knows who he is and that's not easy information to come by. So he's been doing his homework. He's been figuring out, okay, who is this guy that took Yodel and he's put the pieces together and he's backtracked it and he went to wherever the archives are and figured out who Mando really is. The fact that he could do that means that he's high enough up that he can access that information and that he's clever enough to put it all together and, and have that at his disposal when he needs it. So we know he's a formidable bad guy, mm-hmm. but none of that tells us anything about his interest in Mandalorians. It just says 
he's a very competent Imperial who's one step ahead. He is the Gus Fring, you know, he's playing chess and he's not going to land his tie fighter until he thinks he's already won the day. And he's got all of his bases covered and he's figured it out from all angles. Like you just get the sense that the gears are turning with this guy, but the fact that he's wielding the dark saber, uh, well, okay. So we know where we last saw that. We know that we were assuming Bo-Katan had it last time we picked it up at any of the star Wars fair. So how directly was he involved in the devastation that the empire brought down on Mandalore? Is he basically the, the big villain of that whole situation? Very well could be. Uh, it would mean that his reputation does precede him. It would explain why the Mandalorian knows who he is. Uh, and I think they do allude to that. So a lot more questions and answers, but one way or another, he got his hands on something that's probably more cherished by the Mandalorians than any other bit of their culture. Uh, so it shows that in some way he, he basically conquered and subdued them. I think that's what they're telegraphing by him having it. Um, hopefully we're going to get some, some fun star Wars fair. That's going to fill all those gaps in for us, but that's about as much as I can piece together at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely think that it's something like that, where the siege of Mandalore, whatever happened there, somehow Moff Gideon was more influential in that. And I think because they left it so vague, whenever Kara says, well, well, Moff Gideon was executed for war crimes. That could be a reference to this whole thing. I think we're going to get some sure. background with this. Uh, I don't think we've seen the last of no. Moff Gideon's story or heard the last of it. I think he is definitely <laughs> returning in full might. You think? <laughs> I, I do. I really do. I mean, I don't think you That's leave a, a prediction to think that, that he might be coming back for season. Two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if it was him cutting through his tie fighter with a, a, the dark saber or what it was that, that gave me that. But yeah, we're getting so much more with this, which makes me happy because I've, I've been concerned this whole season about getting Moff getting because we know when you bring in a, an actor like Mr. Esposito, you don't just bring him in for, a side character for an episode and a half, or at least you don't market him as that. And so whenever I saw this, I'm just like, okay, hopefully they don't kill him off in this finale. Right. Well, they don't. So I think that, I think Mr. Esposito is getting a nice contract for the show. And I think they're going to pay him for, uh, for a season two regular type of role. Oh, I'm yeah. sure that's going to occur. Yeah. They've established him as the overarching villain and, in in true villain style, he makes his escape here at, at the end of season one. So, of course, <laughs> season two could not be considered a success unless we get some sort of finality to the conflict between him and Mando. And that's just beginning to ramp up like this is just the opening salvo. We we have no idea where they're going to go with it, but expect fireworks. So, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of course, of course, uh, John Carlos Esposito is definitely going to be heavily featured in season two. Yeah, and I, I, I'm kind of backtracking on my original theory. I don't think that this force juice is being collected for Palpatine. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think they're going to carry that out into season two. I nope. think that it's more likely that Giancarlo Esposito Moff Gideon is actually trying to build up a force-sensitive army himself or something of that nature. Uh, we have the Camino signet, so we know that that's somehow involved throughout all this. But yeah, uh, this is something that, that we're going to see. We're going to get those answers. I don't think that it's going to be remain vague. I think we're getting all those answers all in season two. Now we have just some season two speculation. The Mandalorian has to wield the Darksaber, right? At some point. 
Maybe like if they go like full on return of the King and <laughs> you know, he, he unifies the Mandalorians in a common cause against whatever Moff Gideon's cooking up, then sure. Having him at the head of the army and you know, he raises the saber and everybody cheers and they go into battle Braveheart style. I could see something along those lines. Uh, I don't think it's critical though. It, it could be just a matter of them trying to establish how formidable Moff Gideon is that he could actually have this and be like left unchallenged with, with this basically the crown jewels of Mandalore. Um, it just, it says that, yeah, he's a, a big baddie who's created some serious devastation and he's enjoying the spoils of, of victory. So it's a big, just a, I don't know a nice way to say it. it's a, it's a big F you to the Mandalorian culture. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what they're establishing at this point, mm-hmm. but plot lines evolve and yeah. the show is going to get bigger and bigger as we go. Right. This is just with this whole season more or less is really just still setting the table for what they could do in the subsequent season. So, uh, nothing's off the table. And if, uh, if they do go big and it does become, some epic battle then yeah if if the mandalorian gets his hands on it and can right the wrongs of the galaxy with it that sounds pretty darn star warsy to me yeah uh, and i don't know if it'll be that big but it might be something as small as in the final showdown between mandalorian and moff yeah, yeah. gideon it could be where that's how moff gideon dies he gets impaled with a dark saber oh I, well i think they got to take his head off with it if they're going to do that <laughs> oh that would be amazing i don't know if, if that if disney plus is ready for that type of thing or if they ever will but that would be of course the best way to to you know, kill him with the dark saber. Well, it'll, it'll be Avenger style. Like it'll happen. They'll cut right as he's about right. to do it. And then it'll roll, you yeah. know, <laughs> on the ground, uh, Django Fett style. So if they wanted to, they could do it. But I, I feel like, yeah, if, if they are just going at each other the whole season and it culminates in a final showdown, mm-hmm. then yeah, it, there has to be some epic use of the saber. That would be very satisfying. So yeah, we'll, we'll see, uh, see how it all plays out, uh, next fall. Yeah, and of course, there's so much potential. Well, you could have flashbacks of the Siege of Mandalore, and we know, of course, Ahsoka was involved, and she had a hand to play in some of that that went down. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? I don't know if, if we'll get a live-action Ahsoka in the show, but that would just, you know, that's the opportunity. They have an opportunity to do that. Uh, of course, it's Filoni, Favreau, and company that are in charge of this whole thing, so you never know what's going to happen. They could take this a million different ways, and sure. it's... It, no matter what, I'm not getting my hopes up on one thing or the other because I've been so satisfied with this season mm-hmm. and I wasn't even banking on the dark saber. I just figured, Oh, it's a Mandalorian. <laughs> of course that's going to be in here. But if I got my hopes up and that never appeared, that might've been a letdown. So I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up for anything. I've been extremely satisfied. I think season two is going to be extremely satisfying. Yeah. I don't know if season two is going to have any room for side off or filler episodes. It just depends not. on how they, they go about it, but I'm, I'm super excited. Fall of 2020 is when we are getting Mandalorian season two. We had Fabro tease us with the announcement and yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a Gaborian guard, I guess at some point going to pop up in season two. Um, this season of the Mandalorian, if it did anything, it made me a hundred percent confident that the people helming this know how to deliver good star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's what it said. First seasons are always kind of finding their footing a little bit. So if we had a couple filler episodes, not the end of the world, mm-hmm they still had a very clear endpoint that they were driving towards. And obviously they already know, you know, where season two is going. So they must've had that pretty much 
fleshed out and, and understood that trajectory probably, you know, even before production of season one started. So this show is in good hands and that's what this season telegraphs. It's interesting. I, I was doing a little bit of homework and I noticed that the writing credits for episodes five and six, which people consider the kind of the low point, the, that midpoint where, uh, they go back to Tatooine and you get an episode that really doesn't drive the narrative forward in any significant mm-hmm. way. And you kind of feel like you could pull that out and not miss anything that episode. And then, um, the prisoner after that, which again is kind of cool to illuminate a bit of Mando's, uh, unsavory criminal roots, mm-hmm. but still doesn't really do much for this narrative. Those two episodes were the only two episodes that weren't written by Favreau. So I think it's pretty obvious that Favreau broke this as a six episode miniseries. Mm -hmm. And I think they liked what they saw and they said, well, you know what, why don't we do eight? (laughs) And so that's probably why you get this inorganic shift right in the middle that Mm -hmm. people picked up on pretty quickly and said, you know what? I was having a lot of fun following the story of, you know, Mando and baby Yoda. Like, why are we on Tatooine? Like why, you know, why are we not getting back to the, the core of the story. I think that's why I think they just said, you know what, we got enough money and we got enough time. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's fill this out with a, a couple like Western tropes that maybe we didn't get to explore so much in the main narrative. So while I'm okay with it, I'm hoping that going into season two, they know, okay, well we got eight episodes and we know where we want to go with it. And all eight are in service of the main yeah. narrative. And if they do that, I don't think people are going to have anything bad to say about it. Cause that's, that's really the only sort of like black mark on, on a very stunning first season is yeah. It just meandered a little bit. So yeah, if they, if they tighten that up for season two, Oh goodness, we're in for a treat. Yeah. And I think that the, the biggest thing it showed to me is that you could have something that's as short as six episodes and it'd be epic. Mm-hmm. And in the, I mean, these aren't six long episodes. You have the longest one, which was the finale, which was 48 minutes. If they would have announced this at the beginning before the show came out that like, okay, we're releasing eight episodes and they're all going to be between 35 to 48 minutes. I think people would have lost their minds mm-hmm. because they would have been like, Whoa, that's just not long enough. We need some more time with these <laughs> right. characters. We need longer episodes. We need game of Thrones type of stuff. Give us that type of stuff that we're wanting. But this showed that even though shorter episodes i think one was even marked at 25 minutes of actual (laughs) episode i mean and it was still amazing so you have and i think that was uh that might have been deborah chow's first episode which was only about 25 minutes i i don't quote me on that but you know it was it was a really great episode that was only 25 minutes long and to me that showed okay no matter what whatever you have to do to tell the story if it's two and a half hours if it's 20 minutes whatever it takes to get the story out and make it feel satisfying do whatever you want and and i think that disney and company gave favreau and his his team that was selected uh that that kind of leeway and just said you know what just make what you think is best and and i think they did i think we have an amazing Season one, more than I even speculated at the beginning. No one was expecting a baby Yoda, and that has been a defining (laughs) moment for this whole show was, okay, where's baby Yoda? And none of us were even expecting that. I don't think any of us were really expecting much of the Force to be a theme here, but we have just about every other episode, something about the Force being brought up. And so, yeah, it's just been, it's been amazing. It's been fun. I cannot wait for season two. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, 
yeah, it's probably as good a place as any to leave it. This was, this was a ridiculously satisfying season. I'm going to enjoy binging it on a few rainy afternoons over the, the next year in anticipation of season two. And yeah, what more can you say? I can't wait for someone to edit this together into a punchy little, like two hour and 45 minute movie. And yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> I'm sure that'll drop somewhere on the internet at, at some point. And that'll, that'll really prove what they can do with a hundred million dollars and uh, a really great creative team at the helm. So yeah, well done guys. Star Wars needed a win was happy to watch it. And I will definitely be tuning back in for season two. Yeah. And if people want to tune in to listen to you talk about Jason Sudeikis, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, yes. I podcast about Saturday night live. You can find us at SNL after party on all of your podcast apps or at snlpodcast.com. We've got our hundredth episode spectacular coming up very, very soon. So yeah, if anyone uh, enjoys Saturday night live and all of the minutia that surrounds it, by all means, come check it out. And even though the Mandalorian season one has ended, we still have a lot of star Wars TV to talk about. We got the rest of resistance to talk about. And maybe by that time we get done with that, we'll have some Clone Wars. So stay tuned with Star Wars TV Talk. We'll continue to release some fun episodes dealing with Star Wars television projects. You can keep up with us on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and emailing us at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find our master feed online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please do not forget to leave us a nice five star review. You can find more TV Talk podcasts at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you, always.